where to sit and when you can stand up and when you can't stand up. And so I was so glad when I got here and got away from there. So you pray for me because I'm going to have to fly back or hitchhike, one or the other. And so uh, you pray for me. But thank you for the nice hotel. I'll uh, just reiterate what Brother Kinsey said. Um, got a beautiful room and then the fruit basket that has just very little fruit in it. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And I, whoever put that together, I'll tell you this, you have a ministry you know not of because those ladies in there in the lobby are impressed. They were impressed with those baskets. And because they were impressed, I got to witness to a couple of them about the baskets. And then I'm going to try and get at least one of them to come tomorrow night. If we can, maybe they'll come and be in the service. So you, were, you, you thought you was just fixing us something, but you was involved in a ministry. And so I appreciate all of that. And thank you, Pastor, for inviting me to come. And uh, I appreciate the goodness of the Lord. I, it's been a little while since I've been here. And I noticed all the grandchildren running around. And that's a blessing. And uh, I appreciate uh, seeing the families and everything that's going on here. I want you to turn with me in the book of Acts, chapter 21. And I want to thank Brother Kinsey for that wonderful message on prayer. That was a blessing. That helped me, preacher, and I appreciate that. And uh, I thank the Lord for the Word of God. And uh, we'll always get helped if we just pay attention. God will speak to our hearts. I'll give you a thought or two. I'm going to say a few things and then give you a little postscript. I want to read in Acts chapter 21, starting in verse number 8. The Bible said, In the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, the will of the Lord be done. And after those days we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one Nason of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. We're going to take our thoughts tonight from verse number 16. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one Nason of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. I'm going to pray. If the Lord will help me, I want to preach for a few moments on lodging with an old disciple. Father, we love you tonight because you first loved us. We are thankful to be assembled together with the saints of God. Lord, the songs of Zion have helped us. The preached word has helped us. The fellowship of believers has helped my heart tonight. Lord, I, I'm in need of help. I need you to help me, and I'm thankful that you did. 
And now, Lord, I pray you'd help us a little bit more. I know tonight, Lord, that if we'll glorify you and magnify you and lift you up, we'll get help. So you help us to do that. Lord, if there's someone lost without God, I pray they'd repent and believe the gospel and be saved. I pray if there's someone walking afar off, that you would reclaim that backslider. I pray, Lord, that you'll help your people tonight and help this preacher. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going through my Bible. I, I love to find in my Bible what I like to call obscure people. People that are not mentioned a lot. People that don't say a whole lot about. And I found one here in verse number 16. I'll tell you what happened. I, had, I was standing behind a preacher and uh, I was not involved in his conversation. He's talking to somebody else. Uh, but he's a preacher I hold in very high regard and he's a busy, very busy man. And, and uh, I heard him say to somebody, you know, he said it would help me if I just had a text and a title. That would give me an idea about preaching. And so I went home and got my Bible. And over about the next three months, I went through my Bible. I started in Genesis, and then I skipped and went to the New Testament. And I went through every chapter in the New Testament, and I found a text and a title. I was trying to help him. But along the way, you know what happens when you try to help somebody else? You get helped. <laughs> so along the way, I got a little help. And I come across this man, Nason, in this passage. It's only found one time in our Bible. The Bible does not say a great deal about him. But in this one verse, verse 16, there are some things I think that will help us. Now he is called in this passage an old disciple. The word old here in the Greek language is the word archaic or archaos, where we get the word archaic. It can mean a lot of different things. Sometimes in our Bible it means from the beginning. Sometimes it means old times or old prophets or old things or a long time ago. I think concerning this man, Nason, I think it means two things. I think it means, first of all, that he is old in the sense that he's an aged man. He'd been living a long time. Paul called himself an aged man. The Jews did not consider you to be aged until you were 65 years old. I'll be 67 this coming Saturday, so I'm an aged man. I'm an old man. I may not be as old as this man was, but he is an old man. It means not only I think that he was an old man in years, but I think also it means, since sometimes it means from the beginning, that this is a man who's been saved since the gospel has first been preached. He's been saved a long time. I tried to read what some authors said about him. One fellow said that he thought perhaps he was converted on the day of Pentecost. Another fellow said he thought perhaps that he was converted during the earthly life of the Lord Jesus. There is a tradition or was a tradition in the early church that this man Nason was one of the 70 that was sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever that was, he'd been saved a long time. Matter of fact, he's been saved longer than the Apostle Paul has been saved. And the Apostle Paul is really the subject. His ministry is the subject of the text. So here's a man who is aged. He's old in years and he's old as a Christian old in Christianity. He is a disciple. One writer put it this way. He's a disciple of long standing. I want to talk to you a moment about 
being an old disciple. And you say, well, preacher, I'm not old. Well, if the Lord don't come back, hold on. Because you will be. But even if you're not old tonight, I've got something I want to say to you before I'm done about old disciples. One writer said this, there is not a nobler sight in the world than an aged and experienced Christian who having been sifted in the sieve of temptation stands forth to testify of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I like to get around old preachers. I've loved it ever since when I was a young. Now, it was easier when I was a young preacher because everybody was older than I was. And I love to be around old preachers. Now I'm getting old and everybody's younger than I am. So I'm going to have to be friendly with young preachers, I guess. But I like this. I loved old preachers. I love to hear them talk. I love to hear them tell about the things that God has done in their life. And I thought how wonderful it must have been for these disciples to get around this man who's been serving all of these days. Hey, can I help you? If you're a young person, you get around an old Christian, don't tell him what you've been doing. Find out what he's been doing. Don't tell him what you think. Find out what he thinks. Don't tell him what you think you know. Find out what he knows. He'll help you, somebody who's been down the road. But then somebody else said this, there is not a more repulsive spectacle than an old man who will not forsake the world when it's already forsaken him. I want to talk to you about this old man for a moment. And, and when I say old man, I'm using that in a, a, a term of reverence. But there are three things about him that interest me. And they're all found in our verse. And the reason they interest me is because it seems that this aged man, Nason, is having victory in the three areas of life that older folks have trouble with. Say, so, well, preacher, what is he having? Where is he having victory? Well, first of all, he's having victory in the area of faithfulness. Now, I want you to notice what he's called. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one nation of Cyprus. Now, watch this, an old disciple. Now, what is an old disciple? Doesn't just say he's an old man. Doesn't just say he's an old person. Says he's an old disciple. What is a disciple? The word disciple means a learner. But it's not just, somebody said, well, preacher, a disciple is somebody who comes and they hear. No, a disciple is not just somebody who hears. A disciple is somebody who learns. There are some who are ever learning and never able to come the knowledge of the truth. We're warned about that in the Bible. A disciple is somebody who takes what he has been taught. First of all, he is willing to be taught. He is teachable. But then he takes what he is taught and applies it to his life. And it changes the way he lives. Now notice the Bible didn't say they're going to dwell with a man who used to be a disciple. He said he's an old disciple. So that tells me he has not reached the point where because of his age and because of his experience that he can't learn anything. Some folks get to a place where you can't tell them anything. They know everything. You can't help them. They're not going to change. They can't be taught. But this man, even in his aged life, is still a disciple and he's still faithful. Now something else is said about him in this area of faithfulness. Watch what else it says in our verse. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one nation. Now watch this. Of Cyprus. Now that interests me. 
they're going to Jerusalem. So apparently Nason now lives in Jerusalem, but that's not where he's from. That's not where he was born, and that's not where he was brought up. Usually when the Bible uses this terminology, it's telling us about <coughs> someone's birth and early life. So this man, Nason, was born, and his early life took place on the island of Cyprus. Now, the island of Cyprus, you get you out a Bible dictionary, read about the island of Cyprus, and here's what it'll say. I read this in the Sermon Bible. His birthplace was Cyprus, one of the most wicked places in all the world. I read this in the Biblical Illustrator. Cyprus was a place noted for the dissolute manners of its inhabitants. Their unblushing wantonness was exhibited by all classes, and the young were taught to regard sensual pleasure as the chief happiness of man. So here is a man who is an old disciple. He'd been serving God a long time, but that's not how his life began. His life began in a place where wickedness was the norm. His life began in a place where sensual pleasure was taught to be the chief aim of life. It kind of sounds like the day we live in and the places we live. But I'm going to tell you, here is a man who is not living according to how he was raised. He's not living according to what his birth was. He's not living according to what his mom and his daddy were. He's living according to what the Bible said. Can I tell you something, friend, tonight? You said, preacher, I didn't have a good beginning then have a good ending you say I didn't have a good raising then get right with God and have a good living you say well preacher I didn't have a godly family then start one you see you don't have to live under what you started as you know what grace if any man be in Christ he's a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new isn't it wonderful I was reading the other day and I think it was Peter who said he's begotten us again we've been begotten again did you ever think about that a Hindu can't say that a Buddhist can't say that a Muslim can't say that but a Christian can say that we've been begotten again we got a fresh start we get to start over we get we get, uh, we get to reset our lives with the gospel. I like this man, Nason. I like the fact that he is a disciple, even though he didn't start well. You say, preacher, you don't, know, you don't know about my past. No, I don't, and I don't want to know. And you don't have to live according to what your past was. You can get saved. You can get, <laughs> hallelujah, God wash it away. Somebody said, well, he'll take your sin and put him in the depths of the sea. I know the Bible said that in the Old Testament. He'll take him as far as the east or the west. I know the Bible tells that from the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, that's not what happens. Here's what happens. He washes our sin away in his own blood. It's not buried in the depths of the sea. It's not as far as the east is from the west. It's not even behind his back. It's gone, friend. You got a brand new start when you trusted Christ. I like this man because he has victory in the area of faithfulness. And then here's a second area that is alluded to in our verse that sometimes older people have trouble with, and it's the area of fearfulness, being afraid. You say, preacher, why would an old person be afraid? Well, I remember a day when if there was something broken, I could fix it. I remember a day when if there was something needed to be done, I'd just do it. But I'm not in that day anymore. You're listening now? I cannot do what I used to do. I can't do the physical work I used to do. I can't do the 
mental work I used to do. I have to apologize to Brother Parker. I came in tonight and I said, now there's Jacob and there's Megan and there's... And so I forgot about the time change, tried to call my wife. It's the middle of church where she's at. I tried to call, I, I, I still didn't get the time change. I tried to call Brother Ricky Gravely, find out what Parker's name was. I couldn't get a hold of him. I was about to call, I was about to call the IRS. They know everybody's name. <laughs> Finally, there's a lady over there in the office. I said, ma'am, you're going to have to help me. I'm having a mental block. She said, what's wrong? I said, I, I'm remembering Jacob and I'm remembering Megan. What's that other one? She said, Parker. I said, yeah, that's it. I knew that all along. My brain does not work like it used to. My body doesn't work like it used to. I, 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 I've got a house. We never had a house. We were married 30 years, never had a home, didn't have wheels under it. Now we have a house. And uh, in the springtime, about a year and a half ago, uh, down in my cellar, it's not a basement, it's a cellar, we had a lot of rain, and I had about, about two inches of water in my cellar. So I said to somebody, what can I do about this? They said, put in a French drain. I said, okay, what is that? And so they explained it to me. I had to have a trench, and I had a man working up there. He dug the trench. And then you have to put gravel down. I called a fellow. I said, how do I make a French drain? He said, you're going to have to get some number two crushed stone. You're going to have to get some corrugated pipe. And I said, how much stone do I need? He said, how long is your trench? How deep is it? How wide is it? I told him, he said, you're going to need four tons. I think it was a two and a half crushed stone. Get you some pipe, lay down a little bit of the stone, put the pipe across it, put the rest of the stone on top of it, and then when the water's coming down the yard, it'll hit that and it'll go down the hill in the swamp. So I called Bear Hardware down the road from us. I said, can you get me uh, corrugated pipe and number two crushed stone? They said, yes. So they brought it out in a big dump truck. So they backed it up, he backed the dump truck, brought the the pipe and then brought the gravel or the stone, whatever you call it, and uh, backed up and he said, where do you want this? So I'm looking around. Um, I don't want it in the yard. I don't want it in the driveway. I said, well, there's a little spot right there where we back up and turn around, put it right there. So he dumped it and drove off. So I'm standing there looking at it. And then I looked over where the trench was. And I thought, I didn't plan this very good. <laughs> and so I got this little gorilla cart. And uh, it dumps like a dump truck. And I got a John Deere lawnmower, lawn tractor. And I went in there and I, the lawn tractor would not start. I couldn't get it started, no matter what I did. So I pulled that little cart out there. And I got me a shovel and I filled that cart. I don't know how much it holds. It's about that long and about that wide and about that deep. And I filled it with number two crushed stone. And then I picked up the tongue of that thing and leaned like this and pulled it. Over there where that trench was and dumped it out. And then I went back and filled it again. And I picked up that tongue and I pulled it. I did that about four times and I said, it would be easier to lay under that tractor and find out why it's not working than to yank that stuff over there. 
Now listen to, listen to me. I, I finally got it done. But that's been a year and a half ago. And I felt it when I got up this morning. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. I felt it, the fact that I did it. You know what's happened to me? I'm getting old. But here's what will happen. Because we can't do what we used to do, sometimes we can't even think like we used to think. It can make you afraid. What will we do if this happens? And what will we do if that happens? And what if I can't fix this? One of my preacher friends said to me, he said, he said, Brother McBride, this is not an indictment against the Lord. It's an indictment against me. But he said, I was praying. And he said, Lord, he said, I thought you'd be back by now. And I'm not ready for this. I'm not prepared for what I'm facing because I thought you'd be back by now. So sometime when you get older, you can get afraid. But I want you to notice something about this man in this passage. I want you to notice, first of all, he's fixing to take a journey with the Apostle Paul. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one nation of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. So apparently they're going to lodge at Jerusalem with Nason, but they take him and they bring him along the way to meet the Apostle Paul, and then all of them travel back together. You say, oh, what's the big deal? Have you ever read about Paul's journeys? Have you ever read about what happens while he's journeying? He'll tell us about it in 2 Corinthians. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. That's a lot of peril right there. You just think about taking a trip with the Apostle Paul would make you afraid. But here's a man who is an aged man. He's an old disciple. He doesn't have the strength of youth and the vitality of youth. But he's going to take a trip with the Apostle Paul. Apparently, he's not afraid. Not only will he journey with the Apostle Paul, but he's going to invite the Apostle Paul into his home. If you go back and read Acts chapter 17... When the disciples came into the home of Jason and those that were against the gospel got around and caused an uproar and they dragged Jason out of his own house, dragged him down into that crowd and they threatened him, made him pay in order to get free. And so here is a man named Nason later on in the book of Acts is going to do the same thing Jason did, bring the disciples into his home. It's a dangerous thing. But you know my Bible said what time I'm afraid. I will trust in the Lord. And the Bible said God had not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And I will tell you something, the same God who took care of me when I was a teenager will take care of me when I'm an aged man. The same God that met my needs as a young man will meet my needs as an old man. David said, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. God will not forsake us when our strength fails. I preach up in Torch, Ohio. Actually, it's Coolville is the name of the little, little town the preacher in the Gospel Baptist Church, and I did it for years. And just about every year, there'd be an elderly couple older than myself. They would come and they'd sit in the service, and their daughter was a member of the church, their daughter and her husband and their family. They're the sweetest, 
if not the, one of the most sweet, sweetest couples I've ever been around in my life. Just love God, always enjoying the things of God. So one day we went to eat with their daughter. I said, tell me about your mom and dad. She said, well, daddy worked for a utility company and he was 50 years old. And he could retire with full retirement, all his benefits at 55 years. 55 years old. And they came to him in his 50 and they said, we're making some changes and we're going to offer you an early retirement. You can retire right now at 50. Well, he thought about it, prayed about it. He said, you know, I like my job. I like to work. I don't want to retire. They said, that's fine. You can stay. But then he was having his devotions. And in the middle of his devotions, God told him to retire. So he went in and he told him, he said, you know, I've changed my mind. I, I believe the Lord wants me to retire. And so he took an early retirement. And so I think he was, at that time, I think he was 51. And so... I don't know how much longer it was. I don't know if it was a week or two weeks or a month, but he's having his devotions. And he's 51 years old, and God called him to preach. God said, I want you to preach. Well, if God calls you to preach, you know, you ought to get busy at any age, but if you're 51, you better get busy pretty quick. So you know what he did? He started a church, 51 years old. Right on the border there between West Virginia and Ohio. Right on that, that eastern side of Ohio. He started a church. Pastored that church for 20 years. Just as sweet as could be. You know what I think when I think about him? I think he's a nascent. He was unafraid to be obedient to the direction of God. Now stay with me because we're headed somewhere. First of all, I find he's overcome in the area of faithfulness. I find he's overcome in the area of fearfulness. But there's another area I think he's overcome in that old folks have trouble with, and that's the area of friendliness. You know, I have met some old folks who said they were Christians. They said they were preserved, but I thought they were pickled. After I talked to him. You know what I think? I think an old Christian ought to be the sweetest person you ever met in your life. When I get around, I, I appreciate these young men over here letting me sit with them on the front row. Kind of made me, kind of put a spring in my step. I looked over and that's this one here, Talon. I said, uh, can I sit here with you fellas? He said, yes, sir. I said, do I have to behave? He said, yes, sir. I said, I'm going to look for a different place. <laughs> when I get around these young people, I like to talk to them. I tell the little girls they're pretty. I tell the young men they look sharp. I talk to them. I, you know why? I want them to think that living for Jesus for a long time don't make you mad and angry. I want them to think that the longer you live for Jesus, the sweeter you'll be. We sing about sweeter gets the journey every day. I don't want to be, I don't want to act like I'm mad at somebody all the time. I am mad at the devil, but I'm not mad at you tonight. And I want to be, I want to be sweet. Now I want you to think about what's about to happen here. I tried to study this out. I read everybody I could read about it to get an idea. And 
and I came to kind of a, a sort of a consensus uh, of all the fellows I read, and and here's what I what I've come up with: Nason's fixing to have fourteen to sixteen people move in with him. Now, how would you like that? You know what's going to happen when they move in? All of his habits are going to get messed up. His routine going to be all out of whack. I have stayed with people over these years in evangelism. I'm thankful for everybody that ever put me up, every home that gave me a roof over me. I'm thankful for everyone, but I'm going to tell you the honest truth. When you walk in the door, they say, we're glad to see you, preacher. Make yourself at home. It's a lie. You can't do it. Because it's not your home. It's their home. And everything you do gets in the way of what they usually do. They'll say, now, everything you want, you know, if it's in the refrigerator, just take it. If it's in the cupboard, whatever, whatever you want. I've got a, I was going to tell you, I've got a whole room full of things I've taken. But I'm kidding about that. But uh, <laughs> Brother Kelly told about one time, Billy Kelly told about staying in this house. This older couple invited him in. And uh, they said, you, you just have what you want. Just, if it's in the fridge, whatever it is, it's, it's yours. Just act like you're at home. So he woke up in the middle of the night and his throat was all dry. He needed something to drink and he, he couldn't find the light switches. And he, you know how you do, you take your hand. He found his way down the hall and found his way in the kitchen and couldn't find the light switch. And he felt around, found the refrigerator and he opened it up. And then when he opened up, that light came on and it kind of blinded him and he was squinting and blinking and he looked down and he saw a glass and, and he picked it up and he went like that and he said, you could tell there's water in it and he really couldn't see good yet and so he just hooked it up, started, but when he turned it up, started drinking something, hit his nose and he pulled it down and he, when his eyes got into focus, that woman had put her false teeth in that glass <laughs> and put it in that kitchen. You can try and make yourself at home, but it ain't your home. How generous and how charitable would a man have to be to have 14, 16 strangers move in? My best friend, when I was in high school, he decided I was pastoring up in the Upper Peninsula, almost into Canada, and he decided he's going to take his family on vacation in California in a van. And I don't know how many kids there were. I think there were eight. There might have been nine. And so he took them out to California, drove from Michigan to California in a van. I don't know how much time they got to spend out there. And then they're coming back, and he calls me, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm living in the parsonage. I'm by myself. The girls are downstate visiting relatives, and I'm by myself. And he calls me and said, Brian, we're, we're going to come by. We're coming through. We want to stop and just visit with you a while. I said, that'd be great. So they pulled in and opened up, and I'm not making fun of them. Children are children. And he opened up that van door, and they just kept coming out. And they'd probably been in that van seven hours that day. And they got in that house. And I'm telling you, they were in every room. They were in every closet. They opened every drawer. They got out every toy. That little mama was like the Holy Ghost. She was following them around, picking up after them, closing the doors. She looked over at me and she went, and I looked at her and I went, too. 
And then I remembered that we had a gymnasium. I said, tell you what let's do. Let's go to the gym. And we at the gym, we got the balls out, and we wore those kids out in that gym. I'm just saying to you, his habits, his food, his provisions, he's going to have to share them all. But he doesn't seem to mind. You know why? He's overcome the area of friendliness. Hey, let me, let me tell you something. If you've been around a long time and you're mad at somebody, will you just forgive them and get it over with and get your sweetness back? Will you just forgive them? Will you just say, Lord, they didn't treat me as bad as I treated you, and you forgave me. Now I want to forgive them. Will you help me? And get your sweetness back. Get your joy back. Amen. Get your song back. Now, I've said all that to say this. I'm... I'm thinking to myself, here's a man who's conquered in the area of faithfulness. He has victory in the area of fearfulness. He has victory in the area of friendliness. How do you do that? Where's it come from? Well, I think the answer's in our verse. And it's found in his name, Nason. I know there's an M in front of it. I got out my Alexander Scorby tapes and listened so I'd know how to pronounce it right. <laughs> Nason. You know what his name means? They sung about it just a few minutes ago. His name means remembering. Remembering. <laughs> you know what would make a man continue to be faithful? What would make a man to get over his fear? What would make a man want to be kind to everybody? It's because he remembers. He remembers when God saved him. He remembers the mess he was in when God found him. He remembers. His name means remembering. If you were to say something about, about this man, Nason, say, what about that Nason? Somebody said, well, I'll tell you, for an old fellow, he's got a good memory. He never has forgotten what Jesus did for him. He never has forgotten being lost and undone and on his way to hell. He never has forgotten somebody telling him about Christ and it might have been Christ himself, but he never has forgotten the new birth. He never has forgotten getting saved. He still remembers being born again. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember when you passed from death unto life? Do you remember when you heard the gospel and you repented and believed the gospel? Do you remember? coming to Christ. Oh, so well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. You was born a sinner and headed for hell, a child of wrath. If you're saved, there had to be a time. There had to be a time when you heard the gospel and the Holy Ghost brought you under conviction and you trusted Christ. You believed on Him. You came to Him. How do you remember that? You remember when you got saved? Do you remember that? What about? Do you remember the times that God came to your rescue? You remember the times that God did things that were exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. I don't want to get started on it tonight because I can tell you time and time and time and time and time again in my life that God did things that there's no other explanation for except it was God. 
You remember those? Remember those times? I'll tell you what happened in my son-in-law. Worked for an accounting firm and had a good job and they paid him well and took care of him, were kind to him. And, uh, but he grew up in the church in Pax Branch Baptist Church in Pax, West Virginia. And the pastor started working with him and he was grooming him to take the church when the pastor retired. So Brother Vance got up to be about 80 years old and he decided it was time for him to retire. And so we're driving down the road one day and my wife's talking to my daughter Rachel on the phone and, and I heard her say, he did, kind of surprised like that. And when she got off the phone, I said, what did he do? She said, he quit his job today. I said, he quit his job? She said, yeah. I said, has the church voted on him yet? She said, no. I said, you mean he quit his job and the church hasn't voted? He don't even know if they're going to vote him in? And my wife looked at me. You know what I mean by that word, look? <laughs> she looked at me and let it soak for just a minute. And then she said, do you remember when you left and went on the road in evangelism with me with no meeting schedule and nowhere to go? I was driving, so I couldn't, but if I hadn't been driving, I'd have hung my head and said, yeah, I remember. But I had forgotten. I had forgotten what the Lord has done. It's not that I forgot so much what he's done. It's I forgot about where I was when he got started doing it. You know what will help us get over our fearfulness? If we just remember. If we just remember. You know the best way to remember? Is to talk about it. And tell about it. And testify about it. And witness about it. I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm just thinking to myself, if you and I, if you and I want to be faithful like this man is and continue like this man is, we must have a good memory of the things he's done. Now let me say this and I'll be done, I think. Young people, listen to me a minute. I have a fiddle, a violin. Some people call it a violin. I call it a fiddle. I have a fiddle. I used to say, I play the fiddle. And then I met a man named Andy Leftwich. And now I say, I have a fiddle. <laughs> so I was with him one day. And I said, Brother Andy, can you, can you tell me something that will help me with my fiddle playing? He said, well, play something for me. I said, no. I said, just, just tell me something I can do, something simple. He said, well, it would help me to know what to tell you if you'd play. I said, I'm not going to play. Just tell me something. <laughs> so he said, all right, do this. He said, get your, get your fiddle. He might have said violin. I think he said fiddle. But uh, you know what the difference between a fiddler and a violinist is? Violinists have all their teeth. <laughs> and so he said, take your fiddle and hold it up here and Put it under your chin, get it in your arm. He said, but don't try and play a song. Don't, don't worry about moving your fingers down here. Don't worry about, about uh, making any notes. Just hold it. And he said, then get your, get your bow in this hand and 
laid across those strings and he said, just go back and forth. He said, don't try and play a song. Don't try and make a note. Don't work on your vibrato. Don't do anything with this hand except hold that fiddle and under your chin. And he said, do everything with this hand and just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I said, what will that do for me? He said, well, what will happen is you'll train the muscles in your hand. And he said, you'll train those muscles until the point when you pick up the bow, your muscles will remember what to do. It'll just be natural. I thought to myself, isn't that what we do in the Christian life? I want to read my Bible until it's just natural. That it would be unnatural not to. I want to pray until it's just as natural as breathing and would be unnatural not to. I want to testify. I want to talk about the Lord to people. I want to do it. I want to be so used to it that it just comes up. It's just part of the conversation. It's just like saying, boy, isn't the weather nice outside? Just natural. Just normal. I want to be thankful. I want to thank him. I want to, I want to thank him so much. That it's just natural to thank Him. I thought about this. I want to use the altar so that it's just natural to use the altar to respond to the Lord. You say, preacher, I, I, I don't know about this getting old stuff. Well, I promise you, if the Lord don't come back, you'll get as old as I am probably or maybe older. And you say, well, preacher, how can I remain faithful? You need to remember some things. In order to remember some things, you need to have some things to remember. So what you need to do is learn how to pray so you have some answers to prayer to remember. You need to learn to study your Bible so you'll know what it's like to have truth out of the Bible. And you remember that truth. You need to talk to people about Jesus so that people get saying you remember that you talk about that it'll come natural so that when you get to be an aged disciple you be like Nathan you just go on one fella said this I wrote it down I liked it has ripe fruit is sweeter than green fruit so is age sweeter than youth provided the youth were grafted into Christ as harvest time is brighter time than seed time so is age brighter than youth that is if youth were a seed time for good as the completion of a work is more glorious than the beginning, so is age more glorious than youth. That is, if the foundation of the work of God were laid in its youth. As sailing into a port is happier than the voyage, so is age happier than youth. That is, when the voyage from the youth is made with Christ at the helm. <laughs> the Bible said, better is the end of the thing than the beginning. Somebody said, I wish I were young again. Somebody said all these things about the youth and about the young. And I'm going to tell you, thank God for youth and thank God for the young. But thank God that you and I can become seasoned, aged Christians and live for God and have something to tell the youth about the goodness of God and the power of God and the faithfulness of God and how wonderful it is to live for God. I joke sometimes about, like I joke about flying. And I'm going to tell you young folks on this front row, look at me, right? Let's look at me. I don't have one regret of serving God. 
I don't have any sad stories to tell. I don't, I'm not going to tell you, oh, I gave up this. Well, I will tell you this. I gave up hangovers and hell and heartaches and all that stuff, horrors. But I'm, I'm not complaining one little bit. I'll tell you, God has been good to me, better to me than I ever dreamed that he would be. He's just been good to me, and I want to be good to him. I want to live for him. I want to be like Nathan in this passage. I want to be usable till God takes me home. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's remember a little bit tonight. Let's get on our knees at an altar and remember. Let's thank God tonight for what he's done for us. For how he saved us. For what he's done for us along the way. How he's kept us through all of the trials and tribulations of life. How he's never left us nor forsaken us. He's never let us down. Let's praise him and worship him a little bit. Let's just decide we're going to press on and remain faithful and serve God until he takes us home. Maybe there's somebody here you've never been saved. You can't remember when you trusted Christ. You say, preacher, will you, will you pray for me? I don't know if I'm saved. I don't remember when I got saved. Would you please pray for me? I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand let me see it? And I'll pray for you. There's nobody looking but me. I'll pray for you. Pray for me, preacher. I don't know when I got saved. Please pray for me. Anybody like that tonight? Now, Father, you help us. Our brother preached that wonderful message about prayer. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to be Christians that pray and people of prayer. And, Lord, I pray you'd help us to remain faithful like this man, Nason. If there is somebody lost without God, I pray you'd save them tonight. I pray they'd see their need and call upon you and be saved. I pray there's somebody get over their past tonight. There's somebody look toward a good future of serving God. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand a moment. Some are at the altar.